morning, everyone, also from my side. Those of you who are visiting us, my name is Jonathan. It's a great privilege of leading this congregation, and thank you for joining us this morning. And as we're just worshiping on to God, I really feel like God wants to do something in individuals' lives this morning. And I pray that as, not just in this moment, but as our service continues, that you would feel Jesus bringing change towards your soul, and that you would walk out of here with a different burden, different than what you came into. Now, before we go into our sermon, there's uh, something that I want us as a congregation to quickly do. You would know, some of you have been part of our church for a while, that uh, in 2019, we sent out Philip and Mareka. They were part of our church. They felt called to go and plant a church, and then we sent them out in response to what we believe God was doing in the nations, and especially in our movement, Every Nation, to Europe. And we sent them specifically to the Netherlands, as we felt that was the best location for them to go and plant a church. And by faith, we sent them, and we trusted God that what He would do there. And for the last three, three and a half years, they've been faithfully reaching out, learning the community, learning the language, translating the one-to-one into Dutch. Um, And they just started to reach out to people and make disciples. And that's their disciples group. And we saw more and more connect groups being formed. More people joined them. Um, A group uh, went with them, Kirby and Jock, and some people from our church. Uh, Anneli also went. And in time, more and more people went. And in the last three years, we've seen a significant move of God especially in Utrecht. We've seen something that's counterculture to what we're seeing in the rest of Europe. In the rest of Europe, churches are declining. You would struggle to see a church more than 100 people. We in every nation, Utrecht, this church through discipleship just continued to grow and to grow and to grow up until a place where they had to start to gather on Sundays. But they didn't want to just built worship services. They built around discipleship, and this group just grew and grew, and more people came together. And now where they are at, there are more than 100 people coming together on uh, a occasion, and they are at a critical point that we view in every nation where they start to gather on a weekly basis in a worship service. And on the 7th of May, they will officially launch as a church in Utrecht, which is a... which is a massive moment for us uh, internationally. It's a massive moment for us as a Tuani church and obviously as a Willows congregation. We are so proud of them and what they are doing and really humbled and privileged to be able to be in a small way part of what God is doing in the nations. Um, But we're compiling a video. We really want to honor them and celebrate them for what they are doing. And that's why you'll see on the screen, there's a screen that says, Congratulations, Every Nation Utrecht. So what they want to do, they have different churches all over the world just celebrating them. So I want to ask if you would mind celebrating with me, Every Nation Utrecht. And how are we going to do this? I'm going to take a video. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Those of you on the foyer, if you really want to be on the video, you can come to the front and join us. Those to the sides, it would be nice if you move a little bit closer. And all that we're going to do, I'm going to one, two, three, and then we're going to shout, congratulations, Every Nation Utrecht. And then just celebrate, like applause, whistle, shout. It would be really bad if we go, congratulations, every nation, Utrecht. Woo! (laughs) Okay. Um, We're really, really just so happy and proud of them. 
And this is a small gesture, um, just again for them to know that they are covered and they are part of something bigger than just every nation Utrecht. So if that's fine, I would love you to stand with me. And those of you on the side, please move to the middle. Okay. A practice run. It's not that difficult. It's like four words, and then you just shout. Okay, if everybody is ready, three, two, one. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy your Sunday. Please join us for coffee afterwards. Honestly, that was fantastic. That was better than I expected. <laughs> well done. Um, I'm going to mention a phrase, and I want to ask what comes to mind when you hear this phrase. What comes to mind, and it would be great if you can quickly share with the person next to you, if there's someone sitting next to you, when you hear the, hear the phrase, dead man walking. What comes to mind? You don't have to give a thesis, it's just what comes to mind. If you say that person is a dead man walking, what you're saying is there's an inevitable doomed future for them. What they are doing is irrelevant. It's meaningless because there's no future, no hope for them. This phrase, dead man walking, came from death row. So what prisoners would do when a person that was sentenced to be executed, death sentence, the, they, they would escort this person out of the prison into the chamber. And then the other prisoners would, as they walk by, shout, and walking. What is happening in that moment is meaningless because there's no future. In years, it's become a, a phrase, an idiom, and we would sometimes use it in a sarcastic way. If you forget your anniversary, you would go, you're a dead man walking. You're in trouble. No matter what you do after this moment, it's meaningless. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, the living dead? Zombies. Now, I know not everyone is into that. I'm not personally into that. Um, but the living dead, it's often a phrase that we uh, associate with zombies. And those of you who don't know what a zombie is, that is something that is dead, that has come to life. Walk around. 
They are alive, but they're dead. The living dead. In recent years, there's been a couple of series that has played on this idea of zombies, and it's great, created some momentum, but the idea of, of being a living dead, you act as if you're alive, but something inside of you is dead. It's dead. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, a living sacrifice? This is a bit of an oxymoron. Because sacrifice is something that you associate with death. So this is living while dying. In a way, I believe all three of these phrases describe something of our human condition. It describes something of how people live. I think some people live as dead men walking, meaning they are living, but what they are doing has no purpose and no significance. It's dead works. They live as, as if there is no significance and meaning behind their life and what they do. Some people live like the living dead. They have the appearance of being alive, but something inside of them is dead. And some people live as a living sacrifice, meaning they devote their lives to a specific purpose and outcome, and as they are living, they are willing to make sacrifice on sacrifice on sacrifice to achieve that goal and purpose. They are a living sacrifice, constantly sacrificing to see that full goal and purpose, whether that goal be to be successful, whether that goal is to look in a specific way, or to be loved. Just willing to make sacrifice upon sacrifice. And as they are living, they are sacrificing to receive or achieve a specific goal. Three ways of living. Dead man walking. No significance. The living dead. Nothing alive in them. Or living sacrifice. Sacrificing for a specific goal. If you think of your life, in what way are you living? If you had to choose one of these three, what would it be? How are you living your life? We are currently busy with a series called Counterculture. Throughout the series, we are looking at how we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are called to live different to the world. That Jesus has done something inside of us, and because of what Jesus has done, we cannot go on and live nominal lives, normal lives that looks the same than everybody else's life. We are called to live counterculture. And this morning, although we've looked at many different topics, last week Pastor Marlon spoke about being powered, spirit empowered is a way of living counterculture, living from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at how does it practically look to live counterculture. And we're going to look at a scripture, a really familiar scripture in Romans 12. If you have your Bible with you, I would love you to turn to Romans 12. We're going to read together from verse 1. You can also follow me on the screen. I'm going to read from the NIV translation. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's that phrase. Holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of us. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do all have the same function, do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for your spirit that makes your word come alive. And Lord, as we look at these words this morning, I pray that you, by your spirit, would come and soften our hearts, that you would speak to our souls, speak to us as where we are as individuals, but also as a community of believers, as a church. Lord, I pray that this morning would not just be an importation of knowledge, but that you would guide my words and bless that what we're doing, Lord, in such a way that it will bring transformation in our lives by the power of your Spirit. So, Lord, we choose to submit ourselves unto the authority of your Word and the will of your Spirit. And we pray, Lord, may you come and shape us, mold us, and guide us so that you may be glorified through our lives. We ask this because of your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. See, this letter to the Church of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. And many scholars view this book, the book of Romans, this letter to the, book, the church in Rome, as Paul's magnum opus, his greatest work, his most work. Martin Luther said, if, if something were to happen in the world, and all the world will, would be destroyed, but we were able to keep the letter of Romans. The letter of Romans is so significant in describing the gospel that Christianity will continue. That was Martin Luther's take on the book of Romans. Romans is the most significant and defining word for the New Testament. In the book of Romans, we see a systematic explanation of the gospel of who God is, the condition of sin, how God showed mercy and grace, and what Jesus came and did. And Paul systematically explains the gospel, the heart of Christianity. The book of Romans is of huge theological importance for us. And for 11 chapters, this is what Paul is doing. He's explaining the gospel. He's explaining the condition of the human soul. He's explaining how, how we chose to, to rebel against God and how our sinful condition created certain things and certain effects and how God showed mercy and how the world is crying out for mercy and how God made a plan in Jesus and how our lives changed because of Jesus, because of how Jesus took sin upon himself, the forgiveness that we have. He goes on to say that because of Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He just goes on and explains and explains and explains. And then at the end of chapter 11, please do go and read, we find this beautiful doxology where he says, and everything is about him and for him and all. Ends with this, it's God. For 11 chapters. 
And then chapter 12. Therefore. View everything what God has done for us in view of our sinful condition, in view of how we've rebelled, in view of how we've fallen short, in view of how God has gave His Son, in view of Jesus took sin upon Him, in view of how Jesus was resurrected, in view of the new life that we have, in view of the blessings that we have, in view of all of this, therefore, this is how you should live. This is how you should respond. To who God is and what God has done. That's what he's writing to this church. And that is what I believe Paul is writing to us. In effect, Paul is explaining what does it mean to live counterculture. If you understand what God has done. Therefore, this is how we should live. This is what this couple of verses is telling us this morning. Paul says, in view of God's mercy. In view of what God has done, in view of God, how He showed us mercy and grace through Jesus, in view of this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your proper response. This is an act of worship, He says. Not just the songs that we sing on a Sunday, but our way of living is worship unto God, and it's a response to who God is. In view of what God did through Jesus, in view of God's mercy, don't live like dead men walking. In view of God's mercy, don't live as if there's no significance and purpose behind your life. Don't give your life to dead works of no significance in view of God's mercy. See, the fact that God sent His Son to die for your sins, to restore you into relationship with God, tells you that there is worth behind your life, that there is significance, there is a purpose behind the death of Jesus, and a significance to your life. Don't waste it. What we do and how we live matters. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, don't live like the living dead. Living with the appearance of being alive, putting up a mask, acting as if, as if everything is fine and okay, as if you're enjoying life, as if you're on top of the world, but inside of you something is dead. Living dead. Jesus died to bring life to our souls. Not just certain parts, every part. In view of God's mercy, there's hope for life. And you shouldn't be the living dead. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. What does this mean? How do you give yourself as a living sacrifice? Well, Paul goes on and he explains. He says, well, again, in view of God's mercy. This is the important phrase. You're going to hear me repeat this a couple of times. Hopefully tonight when you put your head down on the pillow, you'll go, in view of God's mercy. 
In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, do not conform to the pattern of this world. If you look at what Jesus did, do not go on and live like everyone else. By implication, Paul is saying there's either there's only one of two ways of living. Either you live like the world lives, or you live in a different way. There's not an in-between. Either you're living according to the pattern of this world, or you're living counter to that pattern. In view of God's mercy, you cannot go on and live according to the pattern of this world. You have to live differently. You cannot look at the cross and say, Wow, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you that you were humbled yourself, that you took the penalty of sin upon you, that you went through incredible suffering, that you died, went to hell in my place. You defeated death, was raised again, and now sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And go, thank you, Lord, I choose to do my own thing. Paul says you cannot view God's mercy and conform to the pattern of this world. What would be the pattern of this world? What's the general way of living in this world? If you had to summarize, if you looked at the world and currently what's happening, and you had to give certain phrases that describes the pattern of the world, what would that be? Mind just quickly sharing with the person next to you? I want to suggest this morning that the pattern of this world can be summarized as self-centered, self-seeking, and selfish. If you want to know what's the pattern of this world, the pattern of this world, it's, it's all about you. All hatred come from a self-love. All discrimination, all injustice, all corruption comes from What's best for me? I am better. What I deserve. What works for me. What's comfortable for me. The pattern of the world is that of self-centeredness, self-seeking, and selfish. It's all about me. So if this is the pattern of the world, what would be the counter culture? In view of God's mercy, it's not about you. In view of God's mercy, what God did, He didn't die so that you can build a name for yourself. He didn't give new life for us so that you can live for yourself. In view of God's mercy, live for something greater than yourself. Live a life that testifies there's someone greater than myself. I live a life that points to eternity and says my story will fall infinitely short to the greater story that will, tell, will be told in eternity. In view of God's mercy, don't live for yourself. Live for God. Paul goes on to say, in view of God's mercy, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
See, what we think is important. What you think in this moment is important. Because our thoughts influences our emotions and our decisions. You just don't, you don't randomly just make a decision. There's maybe a split second where you think about it. Now, if you're a toddler, you just make decisions. I don't think they have thoughts. They just go, yeah. But in general, you, just, you don't just feel something specific. It starts with a thought. You don't just make a decision. There's a thought behind that decision. What you think is incredibly important as it influences your emotions, it influences your decisions. And your emotions and decisions will influence your actions. The way you feel and the way you think will determine what actions, what decisions you make. And continually making certain decisions will create certain habits and beliefs in your life. And over time, those habits and beliefs will determine who you are and what you're working towards. It will determine your destiny. What is really important? What you fill your mind and your thoughts with is even more important. What are you feeding your mind? What is currently shaping your thoughts? If you read three articles about load shedding, what happens in your heart? There's discouragement, there's maybe an anger. Using it as an example, it's a real example, but what are you feeding your mind? Because that's a reality that we have to face. There's certain things in this world that we have to face. We cannot be an ostrich and just put our heads underneath the ground and hope everything goes about. There's a reality, but what else are feeding our minds? Because counterculture, we can just do what everybody else is doing be on Twitter and social media and just get angry and discouraged and mad about everything and or we can live counterculture and feed our minds with something else. What is shaping your thoughts? Because in view of God's mercy, Jesus didn't just die for our sins, He also redeemed our thought life. And Jesus restored us back into relationship with God, and from that relationship, we may experience Him, we may experience His truth, we may experience His perfect will, and if we seek Him, if we seek Him in prayer, if we seek Him in His Word, if we listen to His voice, He, by the power of His Spirit, will come and change our thoughts, and He will shape our thoughts, and we will experience a renewing of our mind, because we're seeking God in relationship, in view of what Jesus did. And when we allow Him, He will change our thoughts, which will change our emotions. It will change our our decisions. And if it changes our emotions and our decisions, it will change our actions. And when our actions change, we will live differently. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or just fill your mind with everything else the world is doing. In view of God's mercy, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Paul is saying, guard against the pride in your life. 
Now, we don't like hearing there's pride in our lives. Just the thought that there might be pride. Some of us might go, no, it's not true for me. Just that tells you there's something. The heart is more deceitful above everything else. And Paul says, in view of Jesus, do not think more of yourself than you ought to. St. Augustine said the following. He said, it was pride that changed angels into devils. The devil said, I'll be like God. I'll be better. He lifted himself up. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Do not think more of yourself than you ought to in view of God, in view of Jesus, in view of the gospel. Be sober-minded. Because pride has no room for God. Pride do not seek God. There's certain things that we can look at to show, is there a form of pride in our life? Well, pride makes us independent. We live independently from God. We live every day from our own strength, our own understanding, our own will, doing our own thing. We don't need other people. Once a week in the presence of God is enough for us. Independent. Pride makes us entitled. I deserve more. I deserve better. Pride creates a demanding attitude and expects from others what we do not expect from ourselves. We expect others to act in a certain way, but we don't do it ourselves. Pride creates in us an ungrateful and unthankful attitude. You get to a place where you just cannot celebrate anything. Nothing is good. It makes us critical. Only seeing the faults and mistakes. Pride blinds us for our own faults and our own mistakes. It creates a self-righteousness in us. We're constantly justifying our actions. It's never our fault. It's always someone else. Pride hardens our hearts and makes it difficult for us to love others. It makes us insensitive towards hurt and pain. Pride makes us unteachable, not open to, to input. Makes us think we don't, we don't have to change. I don't need to hear more. Pride makes us act superior to others. Maybe not consciously. Maybe you won't go, I think I'm better than. But in your way of living, it's just the same as the world. The way you view other people, other races, other ethnicities. Might not be deliberate. There might be something in your heart that says, I deserve more, I am better. Something in your heart that makes you unloving. James 4 verse 6 says, but God, He gives more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
This is the problem. In view of God's mercy, do not think more of yourself than you ought to, because God opposes the proud, but He gives favor to the humble. See, pride brings a disconnection between us and God. But if we were to humble ourselves, if we were to view ourselves in view of God's mercy, and we see that we are loved and accepted and significant and safe in God, then we don't have to lift up ourselves. We don't need people to go and champion us and tell us how great we are. We don't need recognition in the world's eyes because we already have it in the Father's eyes. When we humble ourselves, He lifts us up. We experience His favor and His grace. He gives more grace. See, in view of God's mercy, Jesus was willing to give up everything. And He humbled Himself. Son of God, who created with the Father, became human. and became a servant. In view of that, the Son of God was willing to humble Himself. Who are we that we may exalt ourselves? We need to guard against pride in our hearts. If we recognize that because of Jesus, we experience God's grace and His favor, then we recognize that everything that we have and everything that we are is by the grace of God. Think about it. Even when you didn't serve God, His grace was still upon you. He still protected your life. Sitting here this morning, everything we have and everything we are is by the grace of God. So we cannot boast about ourselves. It's because of Jesus. Imagine if you were to lose all of God's grace in this moment. If God would just take away His hand of grace on your life. If God would do that in a moment, how would your life look differently? Paul goes on, a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. Know that each member belongs to all the others. Really important part about being a living sacrifice. Paul explains to this church and Paul explains to us today that Jesus gave his life when he died for our sins and when he was raised from the dead. It wasn't just so that we may live for ourselves and continue to live for ourselves. Jesus died, was raised from the dead to restore us into new life and a new purpose and something more significant than ourselves. He restored us into a bigger picture than ourselves, a bigger story than ourselves, a story that testifies of God's glory. Yes, we are unique. We have different gifts and different talents, but we are called to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We're called to be part of a, a community. We're not called to live independent as individuals. We need to be part of a community that's greater than ourselves, that glorifies God. The idea of belonging to each other means we need each other. You need people around you. Humility recognizes that you need people around you. We belong to each other. Think about a puzzle. I brought a puzzle piece with me. 
we have a puzzle in our house, two of them, it's called family puzzle. So what makes this puzzle unique, it's got different shapes and sizes. So it's got big shapes like this, and it's got really small odd shapes. So the idea is that uh, younger children build the bigger parts, and the adults build the more complicated parts. Usually we just start with the big parts, and we act as we're cool, and we impress our children. Uh, but yesterday I asked them, hey, would you build this puzzle? I want to use it for my sermon. That's the puzzle there. Um, so if you see one of our kids, just thank them and say thank you for building the puzzle. It helped us as parents. It kept them busy the whole day. Um, but this is one of the bigger pieces. There you see a glimpse of what this picture is. But if I were just to pass this around and you did not see that picture, would you know what this puzzle is about? But this puzzle is unique. Do you know that in the box, other piece that looks like this piece? There's no other piece that's shaped like this piece. There's no other piece that has this exact same picture on it. But if you were to have just this piece, it would mean nothing. What do you do with puzzle pieces? That's not part of the puzzle. You throw it away. Because it's, it's insignificant. It means nothing. This piece of puzzle, although it's unique and beautiful, will never tell you the bigger story of this puzzle. And when Paul says you have unique gifts and talents that belongs in something bigger, he says that together we are better. And you need other puzzle pieces around you because together we demonstrate a greater picture of God to the world. On your own, this is all the world will see. But united, placed within the body of Christ, that's what the world will see. Do you know what safety is in this? You don't have to be Jesus on your own to the world. And all your faults and your mistakes will not disqualify the gospel. But when the world sees that, different people, different talents, different cultures, different ethnicities, different languages, united in our differences, representing something bigger than ourselves, then the world sees something about the love and grace of God. We need each other. The pieces around you gives definition to your peace. But pride, pride will tell you and convince you that you don't need other people. Pride will tell you this is enough. Paul says, you're part of a body. Think about a human body. A human body needs every part. But a body can function without an eye. It's not great, but a body can function without an eye, without a finger, without an arm. But an eye cannot function without the body. Inside the body, I makes sense. It has a purpose. It has a function. Outside of the body, it's weird. 
It's dead. It loses purpose and function. Paul says, you belong in the body. It's in the body that you come to life. It's in the body where you define, where you are defined, where you receive purpose and function. Together with the body, you are a better representation in view of God's mercy of what He's done. And your life matters because of the people around you. And you know what? The people around you need you just as much as you need them. Better we are to. We are better together. We need each other. And part of being a living sacrifice is to acknowledge that I need people around me and I open up my life towards them and I serve within a community of believers for the greater good, for the kingdom of God. Because in serving, I'm representing Jesus. I'm humbly submitting myself and saying it's not about me. It's about those around me. It's about God. If we lose sight of the mercy of God, we become dead men walking. If the gospel is just a moment, somewhere in time, and we lose sight of the gospel, we become dead Men and women walking. Because without the gospel, without view of the gospel, we start to live for ourselves. Our sinful nature is bent towards it. We live for ourselves. We build a life around our own needs. Pride and self-seeking and self-centeredness creeps in. If we lose sight of the mercy of God, we become independent. We stop seeking God and His truth. We live as if we don't need people because it's all about me. And ultimately, what we do and how we live becomes meaningless in view of eternity. It is dead works because it's all about us. It is a very limited story and a far greater story dead men walking. In view of God's mercy, none of us should live as the living dead. Because God's grace and mercy is there to bring new life to us. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and because of circumstances, because of life circumstances, because of things that's happened to you, or maybe you've never experienced new life in Jesus, you just know you're living as a living dead. Something inside of you is dead. Great news is this morning, if you look at the gospel, there's life for you. God, in a moment, can bring life to your soul. He can restore that what has gone dead. But being a living sacrifice means we daily embrace humility. We daily embrace humility in view of God's mercy. Daily, we choose to make our life a response to God. Everything we do is a response to God and what He did. We live for Him. Our life testifies about Him. We seek Him. 
And we allow Him to come and change our minds and change our thoughts and ultimately change our lives. Do not rely on our own understanding and our own will. We view ourselves as God views us. Not thinking more of us, but knowing exactly who God views us. And we view others with the same grace. Knowing that if I'm loved and accepted and significant, then someone else is also loved, accepted, and significant. If there's value behind my life, then there's value behind their life. In view of God's mercy as a living sacrifice, we commit to live connected and dependent to others. Serving each other so that God may be glorified. Being a living sacrifice means we choose daily to become less so that God can become more in and through our lives. How are you living? As a dead man walking or as a living sacrifice? Both requires death. The one you're living, but with a dead purpose, and the other one, you're constantly dying to yourself for a greater purpose. The difference is, one lives in view of God's mercy, and the other one not. If you want to live counterculture, we have to keep the mercy of God, the gospel, in front of us daily. Remind us who Jesus is, what He has done, how my life has changed, and how He's calling me to live. And we say, God, so dependent on You. Apart from You, I can do nothing. Even my good efforts to live not for myself fall infinitely short because of the sin and pride of my life, but I need You. And I submit myself unto You and humbly choose to follow You. And if we do that, God will become more. We will experience His favor and His grace. And the world will know that He is alive. Because we live for something greater. We live committed to each other. United in differences. Seeking God's will and His purpose. Testifying of a greater story than our own. May we keep the mercy of God, the gospel, always in front of us in all circumstances. Let's pray. And before I just do a general prayer for us, I want to encourage you, maybe you recognize some sin in your life, some... Um, independence, some pride. This is a moment to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Maybe you recognize that you've been living for yourself. Maybe you should turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Maybe you recognize you've been living like a dead man walking. Would you turn back to the gospel? Would you turn back to the mercy of God? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you recognize there's something 
dead inside of you. You've put on the mask and you've acted as everything is okay. But the life that is found in Jesus is not living in you. You're living like a living dead. This is a moment of mercy and grace for you. I want to pray for you. And with our eyes closed, I want to ask if you, if you feel you're part of a living dead, there's something dead inside of you. You want to choose to experience new life in God. You want to say this morning, Lord, I choose you as my Lord and my Savior. Come and change something inside of me. Come and revive my soul. If that's you, I would love to pray for you this morning. and Put my faith out with you that God would do something that would change a life to your soul. If that's you, would you raise your hand in a moment? And if you recognize that you're a dead man walking, you've been living for yourself, you've cultivated a form of pride, you've built everything around yourself, you've lived independently, whatever that might be, this is a moment of just recognizing God. Sorry, but you forgive me. It's an act of faith. Would you raise your hand? Saying, God, I am guilty. I want to pray for you. So Lord, I thank you for every person sitting here this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in their hearts and their soul, Lord. And I want to specifically pray for those who feel as if there's something dead inside of them, Lord. I pray that you would now, by your Spirit, come and revive because of what you've done, Lord, or what you've done on the cross. We hold on to your promise. We hold on to what we believe, Lord, that you bring new life to our soul, Lord. And we just speak now by the authority of Jesus, life over their souls, life over their circumstances, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill them in this moment as they choose to trust you as the Lord and Savior. Would you come and change their hearts and bring life. But Lord, I pray also for those of us who are sitting here this morning and you're recognizing we've built a life for ourselves. We've lived completely just for our own preferences and for our own will, become self-centered, Lord, independent, not seeking you the way we should, being transformed by the things of the world and not your word and your will. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Would you forgive us for living for ourselves, for losing sight of who you are and what you've done, Lord? Would you forgive us that we've maybe unintentionally just built a name for ourselves or tried to build a name for ourselves? Would you forgive us that we've allowed the things of this world to capture our thoughts and our minds in such a way that it's taken us away from your purpose for our lives? Would you forgive us for the independence, trusting you, not seeking you, living for ourselves, not being mindful of others? And Lord, in this moment, we recognize that you came not just to save our souls, but to make us part of something greater than ourselves, of your kingdom and your name and your glory, Lord. And we pray that you would come and bring change as we repent now to our hearts and that you would help us
become living sacrifices for your kingdom, for your name's sake, and for your glory. Lord, I pray that over us as a church, Lord. I pray that we will not just be a nominal church that looks the same that as any other movement or club in this world, Lord. But there will be a church that is counterculture, a church that is constantly lifting up your name, a church that is mindful of who you are and what you've called us to, a church that keeps who you are, the gospel, what you've done in front of us, Lord. And Lord, I pray as we do this, may you come and transform our minds. May you bring a unity amongst us, Lord. May you bind us together so that we will be an accurate representation of your love and your grace to this world, Lord. And may you use us to establish your kingdom in us as a church, Lord, but also in the world where you've called us to. Because, Lord, again this morning we declare it's not about us. It never was and it never will be. There will be no other name in eternity that's lifted up apart from your name, Lord Jesus. And we believe it. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we declare, Lord, it is about you. May you use us as we become living sacrifices for your kingdom. We pray and ask this in your wonderful name. And we say, Amen. I want to ask us that as a church, for the next seven days, would you start each morning with daily prayer, one-minute prayer? Simple prayer. It says, God, you remind me of who you are and what you've done. Would you remind me of who you are, what you've done? And how do you want me to respond? Simple prayer. Just God, remind me. And how do you want me to respond? And let's see what God does in our lives. Amen.